Hello, and welcome to the State of Talk podcast brought to you by the International Society for Conversation Analysis. I'm one of your hosts, Elliot Hoy, an assistant professor at the Free University of Amsterdam. In this episode, you'll hear an interview with Hansun Chang Waring, professor of linguistics and education at Teachers College, Columbia University, and founder of their Distinguished Language and Social Interaction Working Group, or LANSI. The interview itself was conducted by Saul Albert, a lecturer at Loughborough University. Professor Waring's extensive and innovative conversation analytic work in applied linguistics has revealed how core conversational structures of reference recipiency, accounts, assessments, and questioning are managed in and constitutive of the classroom environment. Some of her key research findings from this work are collected in her 2016 book, Theorizing Pedagogical Interaction, and her broader methodological contributions include her 2018 book, Discourse Analysis, The Questions Discourse Analysts Ask and How They Answer Them, both books published with Rutledge. In this interview, we asked Hansen to talk to us about her route into CA, about how she came to set up Lancy, and we also heard about some of her current research, including work exploring language socialization from a conversation analytic perspective and an edited collection of critical perspectives in CA that she's developing with Nadia Tadic. Now, on to the interview. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. Very, very flattered, as I said. <laughs> well, to, it's an honor. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> likewise. I wonder if maybe we could start, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about your educational background and how you first got into EMCA. Um, so I don't have a Hollywood story. <laughs> it's like a slow burn. It's not very, lots of people have stories like, I read this article, I went to this lecture, completely life-changing. I don't have any of that. Um, I have a degree in um, my MA and my, um, let's see, my BA is in English literature. So I wrote my thesis on Charles Dickens, and, you know, metaphors and imageries and all that kind Wonderful. of stuff. And then, um, then I have um, got an MA in, in uh, teaching English as a second language. I really wanted to, um, I thought I wanted to be an anthropologist. So I applied for all kinds of PhD programs and I got rejected by every single one of them. Um, and so the Teachers College Columbia, it was kind of like a backup. I thought, you know, I could probably get into it and I did, I did get into it. I was accepted. Um, as a man, by the way, for some reason, my name is like Mr. Zhang or something on the acceptance letter. So, um, but at um, TC, I, my doctor advisor was Leslie Beebe. She was doing this really interesting stuff on um, pragmatics, speech acts, cross-cultural pragmatics, politeness and rudeness. And she really got me interesting to, I guess, the broader field of language use. Mm-hmm. And um, so at one point in the doctoral program and one of uh, my classmates and my very dear friend, Dr. Naomi Gaia now, um, she was Dr. She was Naomi Fujita at the time. And she started to write our, we all had to, in the part of the doctoral hurdles, we all had to write this research paper. And she started to move away from speech acts and pragmatics. And she started to write on approaches to discourse. And a whole bunch of us started just follow follow suit and um, I was one of the followers and mm-hmm. this is when I guess if people talk about when was your first encounter with CA it that was it so we started to 
review all these approaches and conversation analysis was part of it. And we kind of kind of echo, you know, the, these are the strengths and weaknesses of each one. We echo the criticism, like not really our own criticism, like what's, what's already out there, because none of us has done anything really. Uh, you used any of the approaches. We were doing more speech act, acty stuff. Um, so by the time I tried to, I wanted to do my dissertation that was really interesting how people do graduate seminar discussions because I was, I had really hard time participating. Um, as somebody from China, I didn't say a word and was like, how did this whole thing work? Um, but I didn't have a method at that time. And, and that was after I did my proposal. And then Jim Papura just arrived from UCLA and he's like this, he became this powerhouse in language assessment. So each time I said, oh, Jim Papura was the one who really got me into CA. He was like, what? Uh, <laughs> but um, he took courses with... Um, Manny Shagov in UCLA, and he was just really a big fan of CA, even though he ended up doing a dissertation language assessment, he almost did something, you know, in language use. So I, he was teaching this course called um, Discourse Analysis and Conversation Analysis was part of it. And um, I think it's in his class, I first read those um, photocopies of Jefferson 1983, the, mm -hmm. the one that's um, the overlap paper and um, Jenny Mandelbaum's dissertation chapter on storytelling. And he really made CD real for me. I think I finally, yeah, because we've reviewed all these approaches. I don't know, you know, we were reviewing these from a mile high basically because, you know, from having not done anything. Um, I think he was the one that kind of made, made it real for me and made it exciting for me. And so I kind of did a dissertation, kind of a CA sort of dissertation. <laughs> um, and that was probably my first encounter. And when I graduated for four years was, I even managed to publish a few things in CA. Um, really a lot of trial and error, lots of rejections, resubmissions to like uh, tons of free advice from reviewers uh, over those four years that really tried to learn, uh, did a lot of, I did a lot of those kind of um, learning after I graduated, after I've done that sort of a CA dissertation. Um, so those four years were quite educational, but pretty much on my own. And then for some reason, 2004, I was, I don't know why, I still don't know why I was invited to this Advanced CA Studies Institute, uh, Advanced Studies of Conversation Analysis Institute at UCLA. So mm -hmm. the kind of the two week boot camp, And I had no idea still today, I, I don't know why and maybe, they were thinking about all these people are out there publishing CA stuff, let's get them properly trained or something. But um, we had what we had, I was probably the only American. So there's Listo Coast, Sue Spears, uh, Richard Ogden, uh, who else? Um, Jared Layden, maybe I think Becky Shaw, most of them from the UK. Mm -hmm. So that was with um, Manny Shegoff and um, Jean Lerner. That was just completely, like I would say that would be more of a consolidating, solidifying experience. I think I learned lots of my teaching and researching all the habits, all the how to do CA thing from those, that very, very intensive experience uh, was, uh, that was, yeah, it was just so, it was very hard and really intensive and just so eye-opening. And it, that was, I, I would consider that my, my uh, ultimate CA experience. 
um, because I'm not, I never think of myself as a purebred because I was, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't trained, at least not originally trained by a conversation analyst, let alone a famous one. But that sort of gave me a lot more confidence. And um, soon after that, we were, again, we did another one in, um, it's less intensive, it's only three days at Rutgers with still mm-hmm. many Shagulov Jim Lerner, plus this time, um, John Heritage and uh, Anita Pomeran. So it's, it's another kind of a three, three day thing. It's a much shorter experience, but those are, I would say those were kind of the most, probably most important intensive, um, helpful experience for me to get there. And that was a long, long journey, <laughs> slow, slow burn. <laughs> right, but it sounds like you'd found your way to it, which may be a better selection than uh, being trained by, as you say, a native CA person or a pure, you know, what did you call it? I can't Initially, remember. Initially, pure, I wasn't, I, I'm not a purebred. <laughs> a purebred CA person, let alone a famous one. But I wonder if there were advantages to that. I mean, the people who you mentioned coming with you to the uh, UCLA course, those are all stellar CA people, none of whom I suppose, or very few of whom would have had that kind of supervision. So I wonder what, uh, yeah, what that I gave did. you finding your way to it it was yeah like now everybody's doing all this great work I I think going this way helps me teach it in a very different way I because I had such a hard to go hard time going towards it mm-hmm. um so I really try to teach it from a total top somebody who really really doesn't know anything about it and um, really and can incorporate all those kind of struggles into it from that kind of perspective. Yeah, when I, now I'm thinking about it, maybe, I don't know, maybe everybody had that in that group kind of found their way to it in a way. Um, well, I think when people find their way to something, it's often quite a good sign because you've been attracted to it and you have your reasons. I wonder if, you might also say something about Lancy and how obviously this, these were the, the years before Lancy. And I'd be curious how that experience may have been formative for what you've been doing with Lancy, which is such a powerhouse and such a wonderful beacon for people well, to find you. their way into CA. Well, that's so sweet. <laughs> thank you. Um, I think the impetus um, for doing Lancy was really to create the experience I don't feel like I quite had as a graduate student, I really wanted that apprenticeship experience where you are in it immediately from the get-go. You're, you're doing the work, you're presenting, you're publishing, you're um, having a whole package of experience, not a single, not a one-dimensional kind of a graduate student sort of experience. Um, I always wanted, and I was also really much, very much inspired by them, by Click. At UCLA, I went as a graduate student, and I went to um, their, you know, sitting in one room. The idea of one room is completely from uh, from Click because that's how they did it. Um, and all these professors in one room giving feedback or giving giving to students who were. Um, I remember Galina was, I think it was a student presenting and everybody was in there. Um, it was just such an enriching and in-depth experience, unlike any kind of a conference experience I've ever had. So I always thought um, if I ever 
we're in a position to do anything. That's what I want to do on the East Coast. So we can have something that's, because we didn't quite have that uh, on the East Coast. So that was, um, yeah. That's very, I mean, it's inspiring, I think, especially for anybody setting out in PhD supervision in this area to hear about that program and that apprenticeship. And I wonder if you could say more about the ambitions for it. And indeed what I've seen when I've been to Lansing and interacted with people who are on the program, it does have that very cohesive feel and that very rounded feel in the way that the graduates have uh, have behaved and conducted themselves. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Almost advice actually for anybody wanting to do something similar in their, in their um, environment. Also be, I have to say, I've also been very blessed with really, really good students, um, people who came here. And I'm, I'm also, I have to admit, I'm, I'm super, super picky um, with doctoral uh, applicants. I've rarely admitted anyone I haven't had first experience with. So it's, it's because it's so hard to do graduate work in New York City. <laughs> um, it's just, um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard environment. It's an exciting environment. It's also a hard environment. So I, I think I've been very, very careful in terms of who I kind of take into the program. And they are, I spend a kind of a lot of time curating the group. So they do work together really well. And we also have the system. I don't think anybody else, um, all, because this is our program, it's not just a language use track, we have three tracks, but all the students in particular track, they all uh, meet weekly in the doctoral seminar. They move together as a group, even though they're at different stages. So they're informing each other's, each other's work all the time. They really know what's, what's next, what's up. The older, you know, the older, <laughs> older people are, quote unquote, um, would be helping advising the younger ones and you go to conferences together. So it's, um, it's really a whole, but it has to, kind of, it has to be built into the system because I've, I've heard about PhD programs where you just meet with your advisor, like a one by one sort of, a, not as a, as a bunch <laughs> as a lancy bunch that's the lancy bunch exactly i think to have that is really important and they've been my students have been just very inspiring i mean to my own work as well and, and to each other so i think building that group and the system has to be in place to make that happen if you can have like a weekly meeting with a whole group in your cohort you know not cohort but at different stages um that would be hard Absolutely. And it's inspiring uh, beyond the group as well. I just could uh, could mention from the outside looking in, it looks like a wonderful and uh, the, the proof's in the pudding because I've met and read the work of many people who've been through it and, and it's excellent. So you still um, had a really great picture of you at Lancy. Ali's, remember Ali was up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ali King was <laughs> interviewing you as this great fish. She was laughing at <laughs> So moving back to your work, which is what I really wanted to find out about, I wonder if you could tell me about a current project. So what are you working on uh, or which project, you know, amongst the ones that you're working on, could you talk to me about? I'm really all over the place a little bit. Um, um, so 
maybe I, I say three things that's current, current. I'm actually in the middle of it. One is the, is the one you know, there's the critical conversation analysis book and you and Liz have a, have a wonderful chapter in it. Um, so that was speaking of being inspired by the Lindsay Bunch. So that was, um, so Nadia Tadic finished um, dissertation two years ago and um, on how diversity is managed in the language classroom. It was just a brilliant dissertation. I was very much inspired by it. And it was, that was two years ago. And then we had, um, we invited Ann Ross to, to Lancy to do, you know, because of the COVID, we can't do an in-person conference. We had this lecture series and workshop series and she came. So just these ideas started to kind of bubble up. And I, I started to wonder whether somebody else is doing stuff like this. Uh, what Naja is doing. So I thought it would be nice to have kind of a collective view of uh, what everybody bringing all this stuff together. There's such momentum at the moment. And also there's this um, EMCR for RJ. And uh, I, I think it's part of the, it's also a really active group. I think Naja is part of it. So I think sometime last year after Ann Ross talk at Nancy, I kind of pitched the idea to Naja. <laughs> Uh, and I say, what do you think of maybe we can do a volume and bring, you know, really kind of bring together the work in this area? And she was on board immediately. So that was that. Um, had a pretty, um, we're very fortunate to have a group, really, you know, stellar group of um, contributors. Um, so that's in the, I think we're in the process of all we've returned most of the first drafts. So we're really in the middle of it. <laughs> So that's one. The other thing I've been trying to do and really been struggling with it a little bit is um, I've been trying to think about um, kind of making a more explicit connection between conversation analysis and language socialization, which is more of a theoretical framework. And then you have this empirical thing. And um, so I've been publishing a little bit on um, parent-child interaction, but still kind of struggling with um, marrying the two things, how to articulate the, I mean, how to deal with some of the connections. So the family interaction project is kind of an ongoing one. Um, that's, that's the second thing. And then I'm working with some, just a, in the middle of kind of a thing, I'm working with uh, Carol Lowe on the project on gesture. We're trying to kind of look at some gesture hold versus hot middle you know this is another one of those things so she's um she just completed her dissertation she's going to defend soon uh one of the chapters has to do with um teachers doing finger counting and there's um so i was looking at these she was looking at these holding the gesture at one point you know too and then uh in my parent-child interaction data i also saw these um various freezing gesture freezing moments either now we finally kind of landed on the distinction between hold versus hot. And then I thought, hmm, two things, maybe we could do some pa a paper together, do a project together. And I pitched that mm -hmm. to Carol and she said, great. And so we did a conference paper recently. And then now we're going back to the collection, trying to kind of really sweep through the larger collection, make sure we didn't miss anything and come back again, see if we will like redo stuff. And so that's another, ongoing one. Um, there's two things on the kind of a more on the pre-planning stage of a whole collection of piano lessons. Mm -hmm. That was, um, I only started to data session a little bit. So 
it's, it's private piano lessons, studio lessons. And um, this kind of goes with my larger interest in pedagogical interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another also kind of in pre-conversation planning stage about doing more projects on translating conversation analysis findings into teacher training. So those are more in the pipeline. <laughs> Wow. Like I said, all over the place, there's no coherence. Oh, I think there's a certain programmatic, you know, programmatic aspect to all of it. I wonder if I could just ask a little more about the language socialization um, plan, because that sounds like taking a whole area of, I guess, linguistic anthropology and theories arising from ling anth. How was that? Yeah. So where where does that come from and, and where would you like to take it? I think really trying hard, well, the, I mean, of course, the, as a CA person, I was looking at these family interaction um, that really came from when I, when my daughter was three years old and I didn't was, wasn't really planning on studying it because we were so excited by like, oh my God, all these words, she started so cute. So we started to put a camera uh, um, like in front of her, really just to capture her, not even other people. And um, and then even later on with other people, I, I was in my pajamas, or there's absolutely no, it's completely supposed to be for the family. But later on, it was like, hmm, we could do. So it's studying that, I wasn't thinking language socialization. And then I was starting to teach the course language socialization. I always thought that's such an interesting and important perspective. And then looking at, um, it's supposed to, there are kind of five features of it, of uh, if, what counts as a LS study. Um, it needs to be both micro and macro. It needs to be interested in socialization. Um, it has an ethnographic aspect to it. Um, so when I was reading the more um, hardcore LS studies, I didn't feel like the micro part is quite there. It's not micro enough for me as somebody, <laughs> as me, as <laughs> from our perspective. And then um, of course, when there's lots of family interaction in CA and then very few um, would really kind of, um, how do you say it? marketed or, or, or um, characterize their own work as ad- addressing language socialization mm-hmm. issues. So those are two very different things. I just felt like the need to, now that I'm being exposed to both, I'm just such a, just such a big admirer of the Ellis work. Right. Um, I, I noticed that there was this disjunct because a student of mine wants to, or prospective student wants to do a thesis on, how young boys are socialized into gender norms and it's quite a kind of traditional sounding project Mm -hmm. but the theoretical or you know where would you find a framework to look at that I was thinking okay language socialization would be a good place to start I couldn't find very much I mean some papers and some work but very much less than I was expecting Mm -hmm. um, in in the EMCA wiki and other sort of CA venues uh yeah yeah. so I think it would be a good idea yeah (laughs) I just I just don't know quite know how to go at it yet um because it's um if you're hardcore you really need longitudinal ethnographic right so there's all these there's longitudinal there's CA there's LS and 
you know, if you do longitudinal CA, you don't necessarily address LS. If you do LS, you don't necessarily use CA. So there's um, fertile ground. Yes, it's very, uh, it's a very kind of a tricky, complicated thing to attack, I think. Mm. So we'll see. I guess um, maybe this is something that you've had to deal with previously in an area that is very theory infused, you know, in, in learning and teaching or the theories of learning and teaching. Um, that's one of the most kind of august, yeah. monumental, theoretical research areas. And CA may be somewhat of an awkward fit. So I guess that's something that you've had to deal with throughout your yeah. career. Well, Simona did a great job with that. And she kind of was the trailblazer and did all the positioning pieces and she did empirical pieces to show that how you can really, yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's, LS is almost the second thing. So language learning is the first that you have to say, can you really use that to study? Um, except that LS always says, yes, my core is part of it. You want both. So, right. but I feel like I can Great. only do the micro part, not the other parts. So, right well this is uh, where we need uh, the kind of uh, multidisciplinary exactly. kind of uh, ca observatory that doesn't exist yet um well thank you for that that's good to hear about all of the different projects <laughs> and impressive to hear about the range and uh one um kind of returning to the training uh training element uh and some of the questions that i was asking you earlier about lancy um what is the one piece of advice that you always give to your students? And it could be about analysis. It could be the kind of thing you say again and again in a data session, maybe a piece of professional advice, whatever. So, because I'm such a kind of a random advice machine, so I don't really know one. So I actually emailed my students and said, is there anything I say that actually stuck you know <laughs> of course i got all kinds of responses it's, it's again it's the theme is all over the place i if i have to say one thing it's probably maybe two things probably i say a lot less is more and slow is fast um i think less less is more is pretty clear in all kinds of ways presentation and you know publication and teaching and all that kind of writing in particular um Slow is fast. I think this is how we all go through this. And a lot of time you, I keep telling people, I think that's, I, I do like to repeat that. If something, if you go slower, something that can be done within five drafts, um, this would not have to be, you know, you don't have to spend 10 drafts doing it. Um, sometimes you want to rush it and then you end up spending a lot more time on it. So that's one. The other thing is, um. I try to push, it's a harder, this is a harder message to land, which is I wanted, I really want people to stay open and curious about neighboring things, neighboring approaches, neighboring disciplines. I think it's such an important um, thing professionally for all of us to really understand what we do um, mm. in a better way. So um, I think 
our program is structured in such a way some institution can take take care of part of it so they don't just take ca they take discourse analysis language socialization interactional social linguistics they have they really have a broad-based training in that and they also go beyond discourse because we're a applied linguistics program they take courses in second language acquisition assessment technology so they really we really try hard to uh, produce well-rounded people um, that can be, be ready for the job market. But on the other hand, it's hard to, I guess, for people's, it's for logistics reasons, especially when you're graduate students, it's very hard to, you know, spend, you know, your time is limited and you're working, you do all kinds of things. So it's very hard. You always say, go to this talk just because it's not CA, doesn't mean, you know, or just even within CA, just because it's not maybe your interest in classroom discourse, it's not about classroom discourse. It's also, you know, important to, be, you know, educate yourself with lots of different things. But I don't think I've been successful in doing that part. <laughs> well, I love the idea of the random advice machine. I think everyone <laughs> needs one of those. Uh, any other nuggets you have, I'm sure you'd be gratefully received by everybody listening. Random, total random, yeah. Um, you've mentioned already that going to Click was a career changing experience in that it gave you your first proper CA, as you called it. But I wonder- No, if not you... click, the, the um, oh, sorry, advanced the ad CA study is- Advanced CA studies, yeah. yeah. Um, but I wondered if you could tell me about something that changed the course of your research. So maybe uh, a mentor or an experience or um, a person or a paper, anything. Not, I don't have, again, I'm so devoid of drama. Like, I don't have anything really. Um, I'm not sure I had a clear course of research to begin with. I'm kind of interested in all things interactional. So, um, again, no, no sharp ten, the turns and bends, no Hollywood story. It's, um, it's almost like I'm a product of my circumstances. It's all everything comes out of my own, the environment I find myself in, getting inspired by this and that. And so the projects I told you earlier, they all came up, you know, from the people I interact with. Um, so very much a product of the environment, I'd say. Which you have also had some hand in creating. So there's, uh, maybe you, 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 uh, get out what you put in. And uh, as I said, that's a very, it's a very mm. impressive environment. Um, what, and this, this may be a uh, awkward question to answer, but if you had a paper or a project or even an idea um, that you felt didn't get as much attention as perhaps it deserved. And I know that's a very awkward thing to say, but just setting aside false modesty I think that we all have pet projects that we wish had gone further or that we wish, wish we had more time to devote to. Do you have anything like that? You don't have to answer the question if it's um, really No, I do, I do actually. Oh, I good, please. It, yeah. I don't think it deserved anything. I just have a soft <laughs> spot for it um, for Go. me personally. I don't think anybody, you know. Um, I have a paper called Dow Preference Utterances. Um, I have a kind of, a, I'm kind of attached to it for, for a couple of reasons. One is it really, solved a problem for me in terms of a language problem. I noticed that in English, people were used now in a particular way. It's like, no, da, da, da. And it's different from anything I've learned. And I, I knew I 
I didn't use it myself. I think I probably use it now and I know how it's used. So I, I did a project um, with that. And the other thing is because I used um, prod to do it. So I, I was like going outside my usual thing a little bit to do um, something. That's why I, I like, that's why I'm such an admirer of people who can kind of push boundaries a little bit. Like you, like that's why I'm an admirer of your work on like experimental, experimental psychology and CA and C and AI, just really kind of a, so I, I'm pretty more kind of a straight jacket. <laughs> I did a lot of work in pedagogical interaction. So that was different. It's a um, discourse marker. It's outside my, my usual kind of corpus of work. So um, I, I, I like that for, for that particular reason. Um, and it's also my, my job talk for this current position years ago uh -huh. was based on that. I liked it so much that I used that. That was also the paper that really didn't get picked up much at all. <laughs> Although it did do, I mean, it, it, it obviously it got worked. me my job. <laughs> so, and there's another one on um, kind of a speaking of longitudinal CA, it did something called How Was Your Weekend? Tracking um, how students responded to teachers' questions. How was your weekend over a period of time? Again, because it was something outside my usual realm of work. Um, that was my only longitudinal thing. And um, that one didn't get picked up that much either. So, but I like these things because they're different from my the usual. I know it's difficult <laughs> to be put on the spot with a question like this, but can you tell me what did students respond? How did students respond to that question? Which one? Oh, the oh, how was your oh, weekend okay. question. So in the beginning, it was very um with no elaboration. Um, and then it just over time it becomes because of the how teacher ends up how the teacher would um, work with the answer, they kind of learned, kind of socialized into the idea that this is not the kind of question you just, you know, this is elaboration is expected. <laughs> so toward the end of that period of time, they all started to like say things, even though they had, didn't have more much things to say, but they orient to the norm that this is something that you wanted more of a story instead of a good, Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will make sure to put the references for both those papers <laughs> into the show notes so that everybody can can have a soft spot for them as well. Um, on the flip side, I wonder if there's another a paper that you've read that maybe you felt didn't get get you know as many soft spots as it could from from other people by other people. Can it can it be a book? <laughs> could be a book. Anything. Yeah, could something that you think more and people I'm should read and enjoy. I'm actually a little ashamed of saying this. I don't think, I think it only applies to me. It doesn't apply to anybody else. You know, the John Heritage book on a graphical methodology. I've used it for like chapter eight. I used it for classes, read it, the chapter and cited context renewing, context shape on page 242. But I never really read the rest of the book <laughs> <laughs> until... I feel like this has to be kept a secret. I'm so ashamed. No, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone in that. I think. Until the yeah. pandemic, I think. Um, so I did. I did a lot of um, EM EM um, readings, and I, I read that whole book from cover to cover with notes and everything. It was just really, I enjoyed it so much. It really in the I think in the preface, and John said something like he wanted to cultivate this op open and productive relationship, a more direct and relationship directive and productive, I think, relationship with Garfinkel. I think he just achieved that brilliantly. It really brought me 
a substantive step closer to the EM work um, because I'm not a sociologist, so it was really hard. Um, I've never taught ethnomethodology. I even I hesitate to call my work EMCA. I think it's CA. I'm not sure how EMCA is. Um, uh, like like I said, I'm I haven't been trained in that area. I'm, the literature and everything. I just don't feel like I haven't really read original phenomenology and all that kind of stuff. So that book was just just such a bridge builder, eye opening thing um, for me. So it was really. I also liked how it was a door opener. I said, um, I mean, you know, the writing is just, just so. I just love the writing. It's just I think it's such a model of how to how to say that how to reach a broader audience um, without dumbing it down, still mm -hmm. maintain all that elegance and everything. So that was um. The other thing, maybe I can see another book thing. Uh, Please go ahead. Yeah, um, Liz, Liz's book on talk, because I think most conversation analysts would think, oh, I know this stuff. That's just for the public. Um, it's not a, you know, but the way she, I mean, I think this, uh, she packaged that the way how she communicate to people outside of CA, I, I just thought it was brilliant. It was, um, again, it's one of the books, I, I, maybe everybody has read it, but I, I assume that if you're in CA, you're gonna think, eh, I don't, I probably don't need to because I know it, <laughs> but it's still such an educational book. Mm. Yeah, great. I mean, those are, I suppose you call them gateway books as well, yeah, as yeah, door openers or bridge builders. I, it has slightly negative connotations to gateway drugs, but I think <laughs> some people in sociology might see it that way. <laughs> I love it. Book. So, I mean, I, I think those are all the questions that I had prepared and I'm aware I don't want to take advantage of your time too much. Great. Hanson, thank you so much. And it's really, uh, it's so wonderful to hear uh, about your inspiration you know your inspirations and your experiences and, and to hear how you talk about Lancy. thank you so much if you have ideas or want to participate in the ISCA newsletter or our podcasts and other projects please go to conversationanalysis.org and reach out to us we love your input in what we're building which we hope is a truly international connection amongst our em and ca communities our theme music is ethnomethodology by peter daniel off of the album convulsive listening